Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to a special episode, a special edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We've got a very important interview guest for you to listen to this time. I am Jason Evans, your host this time on this journey, because I'm going to be the one who's going to be doing the interview. And then these guys, Sam and Donald, will be reacting to it. But Sam, Donald, welcome in. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good because uh, honestly, Jason, I'm really excited that we get to have this interview. Uh, I'm I'm very, very upset that I was able to miss that I had to miss it. Uh, but it was a great interview and this person we've been trying to speak with for a very, very long time. And Sam Klein. Uh, also excited about this interview that I have listened to and I'm prepared to react to and disappointed that I sort of last minute last week was not able to join. It was a, it was a bummer for me. I was a little busy in the day job, but I'm glad Jason, that you were able to do this and get into a few really cool topics with Carol Lawson. Yes. The interview is with the head coach of the Duke women's basketball team, Carol Lawson. She is someone with a illustrious history, a tremendous, a tremendously successful um, basketball player in college and professionally with gold medals and all that other kind of jazz. She is also someone who had a long broadcast career. She then was an assistant coach with the Boston Celtics, um, a, a you know a pretty big deal kind of job. And then the Duke Blue Devils hired her a few seasons ago to come coach the Duke women's basketball team. Um, her first season was aborted because of COVID, but they showed a lot of progress, a lot of improvement last year, and there are very high expectations for this year. So with all that said- And, and Jason, yeah, and she yeah. is the head coach of the gold medal winning 3X3 Three team M from the Olympics. That's true. That is very true. An international flavor to her as well. Um, and with all that said, we will now bring you our interview, my interview, <laughs> that I did last week with Coach Carol Lawson of Duke. We want to now welcome in to the Duke Basketball Report podcast, none other than the head coach the, of the women's Duke basketball team, Kara Lawson. Thank you so much, coach, for, for joining us here today. We are really excited about, you've got a big season ahead, don't you? We do. Uh, it's the start of year three uh, of, of my time here at Duke. And um, I think when we look at where we are as a program, um, in the start of year three, uh, there's been a lot of positive changes, uh, a lot of positive momentum. And I think this roster uh, is by far the deepest roster that we've had um, since um, we got here. And then uh, the most athletic, um, the most size. Um, so there's a lot of, of physical characteristics about this group that um, are at, at higher levels than the previous two iterations. Um, now, as we all know, being avid basketball followers, what you have on paper doesn't always translate into wins. You have to be able to earn those and, and go out there and, and play well and execute and be disciplined. So that remains to be seen about this team because we haven't played a game yet. But I do think it's the most talented team we've had since I arrived in Durham. That is very exciting. You know, you mentioned you're in year three. What does year three, Kara, know that year one, Kara, did not? You know, I, I think, um, you know, obviously having uh, the experience last year, the first year we didn't only played one ACC game with the with the season being canceled. And last year went through the whole ACC season. <clears throat> and so um, it's my first time through the league. 
Um, and you can, you know, watch it on film all you want, but to, to coach against uh, the, the teams, the programs, the players, the coaches, um, obviously styles are different. And um, so going through that, I think, just gives me more experience and more wisdom on, on, on what it's like to go through an, an ACC season. And um, I, I also think like this year, what's been really exciting for us is, you know, the first time we can practice without masks. Um, yes. You know, the first few years, it was so limiting. Um, <clears throat> and so that that's made a difference. Um, also having the numbers we have in practice um, daily has been a big difference. So there are things I'm still learning and adjusting to. I'm used to, you know, scheduling a practice or not scheduling a practice, but having a practice and maybe you only have eight players, um, not enough to play five on five for most of the time here. And um, now you can do that. You can play and you can scrimmage and, and you can have some, some length to your scrimmaging because you have the number of bodies that allows you to do that. I, I want to talk more about this year's team, but I want to reflect really quick on last year. You all started out eight and zero. I think you were top 15 in the country in the polls. And, and then the back half of the schedule didn't go as well as the front half did. What, what are some of the lessons that you took from that? What do you, I know that COVID impacted us and injuries and other things like that. But, you know, what did you learn from the back half of that season? Yeah, I think you just have to understand that in a season, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. There's some things that are going to go well. There's some things that um, you're, you're going to struggle with. And for us, um, we just didn't navigate the, the challenge of the changing lineups and different games missed by players Um as well as we should have. And, um, you know, we started 11 different starting lineups in 18 ACC games, and that was because of COVID and a little bit wow. of injury. And so um, that led the league. And so we we had no really roster certainty, and we struggled with that. And, um, you know, we, we, we kind of lost, um, you know, rhythm uh, when we got into the ACC play. And uh, never, never regained it. And so um, we've talked about that with our group that um, has is returning. Obviously, the players that weren't here, um, you know, they they didn't experience that. But I think the lesson is true for anybody. Um, you, you have to stay disciplined and you have to stay um, focused on your execution, regardless of whether you're 8-0 or you're 0-8, regardless of whether you're on a winning streak or you're not whether you have seven players available or you have 14. And so our goal this year is to have more consistency than, than we did last year. Um, and, and hopefully that, that results in, in more wins. You know, you've made great use of the transfer portal to, to remake the roster. It, it, the cupboard was not that they weren't wonderful players and, and good people, but the cupboard was a little bit bare when you arrived uh, at, at Duke uh, talk to me about who you think the leaders are on this team. What are the names that we need to pay attention to if we aren't uh, uh, diehard women's college basketball fans who, who know the roster by heart already? Well, we, we have, um, we have a lot of good players, um, you know, obviously um, coming back, you know, Celeste Taylor was a, was a really good player for us last year, two way player. She got hurt in the middle of ACC missed, missed half the year, but half the ACC year, but she's, She's somebody that we lean on um, for her experience, her energy, and, and her ability to make plays. Um, Cheyenne Day Wilson was the ACC Freshman of the Year last year. Uh, she started at point guard for us the second half of the year, but um, led us in scoring as a freshman, which is hard to do at this level. 
And then obviously had to navigate running a team as well, um, which, um, you know, she had her ups and downs as all freshmen do. But I thought when you take a look at her whole season, um, she, she contributed very well for us. Um, Jordan Oliver is another player that uh, missed last season. She was injured. She redshirted. And uh, we could have used her, <laughs> but we have her this year, which we're really excited about. And she's somebody that impacts both ends. And, you know, our front court, uh, we have a few transfers that uh, are, are really going to impact. I mean, Reagan Richardson's a McDonald's All-American out of Charlotte. She's local um, in that sense, local to the state. And and then um, Kennedy Brown and Taya Corsdale and Mia Heidi are um, – are all front court players um, that will play prominent roles for us. Um, they have great size and great experience, um, which helps. We added more experience to our roster as well. And they've, they've all played for successful programs and they're all four coming from successful programs. So they have an understanding of what it takes to win. You know, I, I know that coaches think they can win every game and confidence is always important. Um, but have you talked about specific team goals, things that you, think are realistic to accomplish this year? Uh, what are the measurements for success that you put on the team? Yeah, to be honest, we hadn't talked much about uh, like goals in terms of, hey, we'd like to win this many games or we'd like to finish this place in the conference. Um, we talked more about goals in terms of like our consistency day to day. Um, we want to be more disruptive defensively. That's a big goal for us this year. We've talked about that a lot as a group and as individuals. Just last year, um, you know, we were a poor defensive team. The numbers bear that out, whether, you know, you can be nice and say we struggled or whatever. But if we're I, just, I was going to ask you about that, but I'm glad you're getting to it. <laughs> or if we're just looking at numbers, we were a poor defensive team, particularly in league play. And so that's something that us, we as a staff, you know, had to look in the mirror in the off season and say, okay, how do we, how do we improve in this area? And so um, we, we went and uh, improved our size across our front front line, we improved our athleticism, we improved our depth. And so we did those three things with the overall goal to become more disruptive defensively. Well, what does that mean when we say disruptive? What does that mean? Well, what that means is um, we can force more turnovers. We, we are hopeful that we can force, force more turnovers. I guess the games will tell us. The games will bear it out. We're hopeful we can force more turnovers. We're hopeful we can take people out of what they're trying to run, make it more difficult for them to run, um, run their offenses. And then really what you're talking about is really – making it really hard to get into the paint, really hard to find open shots for the opposing teams. So that's a, that's a stated goal of ours, you know, internally, and I guess externally too. I mean, we've talked about it, um, you know, in the media as well. It's, it's kind of our number one thing that we want to see and, and have be different when, when teams play us this year. Um, so I would say that's mo most of what we talked about um, being more consistent um, at, with our performances, uh, game to game, month to month, non-conference to conference, um, and then being more disruptive on the defensive end. What What do you think will be the strength of this team? Do you think? I mean, do you think all that focus on defense and being disruptive will end up being the strong point? You know, is it going to be outside shooting? Is it, you know, tell tell me, you know, if I'm watching the games, what 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 should I expect Duke to be really elite at? I certainly hope it's a defensive end. I mean, that's my goal um, is that we're one of the top teams 
um, in the country and in the league on that end of the floor. And, you know, it depends on, um, you know, what, what metrics you value. Um, but for us, we want to be able to, um, you know, limit points in the paint. We want to be able to, uh, limit field goal percentage, um, create turnovers and, you know, just overall make it really hard to play against us. So I, I would say, yeah, that's that's kind of where most of our our talk has been. Now, listen, offensively, we don't ignore that side of the floor. Um, <laughs> I like that side of the floor. It's fun. Um, players like that side of the floor. It's fun. Um, you get a lot of joy from playing the offensive end, too. Um, and so it's, it's kind of the opposite of that, right? Like you want to be really efficient. You want to be able to attack and get into the paint. Um, you want to be able to create open shots for yourself and for teammates. And so um, just in that simple level, I know it might seem like a really simplistic answer or basic answer, but um, the basic things are hard to do against good competition. And so the ability to get an open shot against a really good team, it's a challenge in our league. And so you might say like, oh yeah, she's just saying get open shots, but you try getting open shots against. Exactly. <laughs> like it's hard. So um, we try to phrase things in that way. It's just like the quality of the possession. And then I, I do believe this to be true and it's been true in my career. Like if over time, over the time being the course of a game, over a 40 minute game, if the quality of your possessions on both ends is higher than the quality of your opponents, more times than not, you win the game. Yeah. I, I want to get away from the current Duke team for a moment and talk to you about Kara Lawson, the coach. Um, we've seen videos of some of the speeches that you've given to this team. Um, incredibly inspirational. The, the one about handling the hard better um, absolutely went viral. I mean, I saw people talking about that who have no connection to Duke whatsoever. Where does that stuff come from? Do you have it in you? Do you just start talking and it comes out? Or do you script it out? You know, take me behind the scenes of a great Kara Lawson inspirational speech. <laughs> I wish I had something. I wish I had a great story for you to tell you how it all comes about. Uh, honestly, um, there's, there's no magic behind it. Um, I talk to the team every day. Um, typically, uh, at the end of practice, it might be a little longer than, than, than the times throughout. Uh, and in practice, you're talking to them, correcting. Uh, you might stop and share an anecdote in practice. Depends on what, what's going on. But I'm always talking to my team. I mean, my goal is to make sure that they're prepared when they leave school to to um, excel in life, not just exist in life, but to like to excel. So, there, you know, being a coach of a basketball team, there's so many opportunities to highlight certain concepts. Um, and, and they come about organically because you're in a, on a team through a course of a season, like stuff happens right, right. and you're having to face it and deal with it. And so I don't have to create these scenarios or create these situations. They, they happen before my eyes in terms of what, what we're faced with in, in the journey of being a competitive athlete at this level. So it's just really a, it's really just those, those moments. Um, and, you know, we, we obviously have a great creative team and, and they're in practice every day. Um, so it's not like I say to them, Hey, I'm going to speak today. You know, they just are filming practice. And right. if I end up talking, if I end up, you know, going on for a couple minutes, they film it and, you know, it goes on and, you know, I've told this story before, like, I don't even remember what I say half the time. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> I wish I could like romanticize this for you and, and make this a whole big production. 
And then, you know, maybe later that day or a couple of days later, you know, my creative director will come up to me and she's like, hey, this is really good. And I'll go, what's really good? And she'll say, well, what you said to the team on Tuesday. And I'll go, well, what did I say on Tuesday? And then she'll <laughs> play it, you know, she'll play, you know, she'll show me it. And it's not that I like don't remember. I just don't remember exactly what, what, what's, what, it's not even a speech, like what talk, what I was saying on that day. Like, I can't tell you what I, what, what I told him on Tuesday versus Wednesday versus Thursday. Sure. Because I'm saying things as they come up in real time. Um, so it, that's just how it happens. I wish I had a better story for you. And, and as far as, you know, like, do, do you think about it or is it scripted? No, it's not scripted. Do I think about it? Um, sometimes I think about concepts, um, you know, and but then I'm always waiting for the, the right time to to maybe talk about it. So let's say I want to talk with you, you know, Jason, about being resilient. Well, just because that's what I thought about this morning doesn't mean I'm going to like have diarrhea of the mouth about resiliency and practice that day, because that's not the message the team needs in that moment. Right. Like I have to wait for the moment that that lesson is going to be most impactful. Sure. And, and so I think you're always searching for like, like when is the right time for the right message as a coach. And sometimes the right message is something pretty bland, you know, and just direct. And sometimes it's a story and sometimes it's using sometimes a story about you and your personal journey. Sometimes it's a story about somebody like it can be anything at any time. And, um, you know, we just honestly, like, I didn't, I didn't expect this. And I, I don't know why things go viral or what happens, but um, the stories that I get and the messages that I get from people is unbelievable. I mean, I get emails from people and letters from people about, you know, they watch them and how it impacts them. And they're, you're right. You said it, I think before, like they're not even associated with Duke or sports. Exactly. Or and I get these, I get these correspondence and I'm like, holy cow, I'm, you know, eighth grade science homework in Fresno or in Kansas city, a medical professional is, using it or 75 year old retiree in Montana. And I'm not saying rain, like there's like real people behind these stories that I get these emails, I get these messages I get. So that part's been cool, you know, to, to um, interact and, and meet new people and know that um, people have been inspired in some small way from it. I mean, I, I definitely think that feels good um, to know that. Um, it, people... Is that all, is that all from the, you know, getting better at, at handling the hard, making the hard easier or whatever. I'm trying to, you got a great uh, phrase there. Yeah. Handle hard better. That was um, it, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it started with the compete speech like two years ago. So I did like a, I think it was a speech on competing, maybe hard work and competing mm -hmm. like two years ago. And that one went crazy. And then we started getting a bunch of messages from coaches like youth coaches and high school coaches and college coaches, a couple pro coaches actually. Um, and, and then, um, different speeches, I guess, resonate with different people, but I would say the two that, that we got a lot of responses from were the compete one and the handle hard better seem to be the two that resonate for whatever, again, I don't know the reason, whatever reason they resonate with people. So it's cool. Now you had a pretty unique path to Duke and to being a head coach. You were a broadcaster. I would imagine some of the skills you learned at that impact your ability to to deliver inspirational speeches. You, you were an assistant coach in the NBA um, for the Boston Celtics, and now you're coaching a women's college team. What are the, some of the things that you learned along the way 
um, that, that, you know, are really impacting and helping with, with your experiences at Duke? Well, the broadcasting, um, I think just helped refine my communication skills. And I've told this story before, but it was an impactful story in my life. Um, when I was in college, uh, playing for Pat Summit, um, I was a, a freshman and I was not very comfortable speaking in a, in a forum like this. I was come on, really quieter, quieter player. And I have some quieter players on my team now, you know, and I, I actually relate to them more so than the ones that aren't quiet. Cause I was one of, I was like them when I was a, a college player and I'll never forget coach summit brought me in her office and she said, um, Hey, uh, you're really, you're really intelligent as a player. You're one of the smartest players I've, I've coached. And um, intelligence in life can take you really far. And I think we'd all agree, certainly being at an institution like Duke, that intelligence can take people really far. There's a lot of intelligent people that walk this campus. And it can, it can take you really far in life and you can be very successful with a lot of intelligence. And she said, you work hard. You're one of the hardest working players that I've had. And I think we'd all agree that if you have a strong work ethic, that it can take you really far in life. You know, it's something your parents tell you when you're young, like just work hard. If you do nothing else, just work hard and it can take you far. And so if you do nothing else, but you work really hard in life, you can have some level of success. Um, but she said to me that the, the ceiling will always be lower if you have an inability to communicate effectively. So an intelligent person can be successful, but they will never reach the pinnacle of success that they could have if they have an inability to communicate. It makes sense, right? Like you can have all the intelligence in the world, but if you can't communicate said intelligence to someone else to help make someone else smarter, to help have someone else figure something out, it's just your ceiling's lower. What you can be is just not as great as what you could be if you could communicate effectively. And the same is true for work ethic. Like if you can work hard, but you can inspire or motivate other people to work hard too, there are certain levels that you're just not gonna be able to reach if you can't communicate that effectively. And she said, so, you know, really it comes down to you. Um, this is an area you need to grow in. This is an area that you need to improve on. And if you want to maximize your potential, if you want to maximize um, what you can do in life, I would take it seriously and I'd work hard and get better at it. So it's what I did. And it was by her nudge. And I won't say it was a gentle nudge. It was a <laughs> by her to improve and you say, okay, well, how do you do that? What did you do? Well, she made me take a public speaking course. Um, I used to have to speak in front of the team. She'd make me give presentations in front of the team. I, she would take me to media. Some games I didn't even play that well. Usually you have to play well to go to media after games. She would take me anyway, make me have to answer questions. Wow. And over time, and you know, we were obviously a successful team at Tennessee and we had a lot of media covering us. So that, that the opportunities were, were ample for me to, to grow and improve. And over time, I got better. Well, then a year out of college, I got a job working at ESPN and just continued that education. And then 16 years later, um, I'd been, I started coaching, right? I spent 16 years at ESPN. So you can see over time, over 20-year period now, I was working on that, man. I was working on it. I was growing in it. I was improving. I was getting better. And this is a, a this is a great story um, for me to tell, not because it's about me, but because something that when I was 18 years old, something that was a defined weakness of mine, I think you could argue as a coach is one of my strengths 
communication, but it was something that was a real weakness. And now it's one of my strengths. So think about that in life. Like when you're like, oh, this is something I'm just not good at. Like, I'm never going to be good at it. I'm just, I'm not good at it. I'm never going to be good at it. Like that's so false. It's, 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 um, it's untrue. And I speak from experience because something that I wasn't good at at 18 is now at 41, one of my major strengths. And it's a great story that I relay to my players from time to time, individually, usually, because sometimes at 18, you feel like your finished product. You, and you feel like, hey, I'm just quiet, coach. It's what I do. Like, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. Like, and I say, okay, that's fine. That doesn't predestine you to be that for the rest of your life. And your weaknesses as a young person do not have to be your weaknesses as an adult. And so you, you, you can keep growing in that. And um, so that conversation you know, changed the trajectory of my life when you think about it, because yeah. I became an ESPN announcer. I'm not becoming an ESPN announcer after college if I don't work really hard on my communication skills those four years. And then I'm not doing it for 16 years. And now as a coach, I mean, communication is critically important um, to be able to have success and to be a leader. Communication is really, really important. So I'm so thankful um, that I went somewhere with a coach like that. Because um, you need to have someone that challenges your weaknesses and that nudges you firmly in those directions. Because we all know left to our own devices, we'd probably stray far away from working on our weaknesses and we'd stay right in the comfort of the strength, you know, the strengths that we have. And we need people to push us like that. So I'm thankful for Coach Summit for that. Wow, that, that is a really great. That's an amazing story. Um, and, and And to think, by the way, that you're, you had Pat Summit at the beginning of your college career, and at the very end, um, you were, you know, coach somewhat alongside or near Coach K. It's really, it, it's truly special that you were able to experience, arguably, the top two coaches in the two games. Um, can can I ask you, you know, now that Coach K is gone, John Shire is there. Do you interact with him very much? And I mean, like you, a few years ago. When you took over the, the program, you had no head coaching experience. He's in the same boat. Have you given him any advice about what it's like? <laughs> you know, um, John and I spend a lot of time uh, together, believe it or not, in the early mornings working out. Um, really? Prior to uh, him becoming a head coach. And, and so I like to work out early in the mornings in the weight room. And and uh, now, can I ask what what is what is early? What time are we talking about? Uh, well, I, I think our crossover would be like six, maybe. That's early. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, so, so that's how we, we, we spend a lot of time. Uh, he would be in there working out. Um, sometimes Chris Carroll would be in there as well. Sometimes Tia Jackson, one of my assistant coaches would be in there, but you know, I, I would try to get my workout in before my day started. And I think that's what they were doing too. Um, so, uh, especially during COVID when it was really shut down, that was kind of the only outlet you had, you couldn't work out any really anywhere else. And so we we're kind of all stuck in this building together. So yeah, I've spent a lot of time, um, ha having, you know, different conversations, uh, through the workout, you know, um, Hey, what do you do with this? Or, Hey, what do you do with that? Or things like that. And, um, certainly they were very helpful at the start for me. I was asking them more questions than they were asking me because I was new to Duke. Right. And so just learning Duke itself, you know, and um, that process. And um, so, yeah, so we, we obviously are in the same buildings, um, you know, share the same hallways. Uh, so 
uh, where we, we see each other all the time and, and I've had um, some good one-on-one -on -one visits too. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, I'm excited for him, uh, for the opportunity. Uh, like you said, I know the feeling, uh, the first, the first year, the first go round, um, he has a little bit, you know, uh, uh, of an advantage in that, uh, he, he had been here prior, you know, he's right. not having to learn Duke, you know, um, he, he knows Duke well. And, uh, so that, that's certainly helpful. Um, but yeah, uh, we have a great relationship and, uh, he's somebody that I think is going to be, be really successful. Speaking of knowing Duke, um, when the season you had with the Celtics, Jason Tatum was also there. I, I think he he really exploded that year. That was the year he became an all-star for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, did he tell you anything about Duke when when you were considering taking this role? No, um, he didn't. I don't know that he knew that that was happening. Oh, it was it was really yeah. quiet, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but. Um, you know, we still talk and everything and, and, um, you know, he's one of my favorites, um, just an outstanding, uh, young man and, and somebody that just continues to keep getting better and better. It's amazing his trajectory over the last three, four years. Um, but he, he loves this place. I mean, he, he, he does love it. Uh, he comes back here and, um, certainly is, is very supportive all the time and, um, very, very excited. Um, he was very excited. He was definitely by far the most excited of the Celtics players um, about the opportunity uh, for me. And, and um, so, yeah, we have a great relationship and I try to get up there um, to see him play, see all of them play um, a couple times a year. I went to a couple of playoff games last year because obviously they made it pretty far. So yeah, uh, I'll do, I'll do that probably as long as I'm coaching. Um, uh, Boston is a special place and it's awesome to go see a game in the garden. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be a Celtics fan for a long time. Last question for you. I, I've really noticed lately how much the women's game has progressed from an athletic standpoint. Back when you played at Tennessee, it was pretty unheard of for someone to dunk in a game. And, and now I, you know, I go on Twitter, you know, basketball stuff and it's becoming commonplace. I'm seeing, I'm seeing women doing things that athletically, you know, we didn't think it just wasn't commonplace. It must be exciting for you. Talk about how the women's game has progressed and changed from when you were making three, you made three final fours in four years, I think when you were at Tennessee, I mean, the game has come a long, long way, hasn't it? It has. Um, the players that come into college now are so much more athletic um, with, with size. So the athletes aren't limited to the guards. I mean, the the wings and the forwards and the the post players are unbelievably athletic. And so, um, yeah, it's changing and it's growing and uh, it's getting more and more um, exciting. And I'm like you, you know, I, I see on social media, my staff will show me like this player's dunking and she's like 15 or 16. <laughs> I know it's crazy. And you look at it, you're like, what? Um, so you see it and it's great and. Um, yeah, I'm, I, um, uh, I am hopeful soon, you know, at some point we'll have the first Duncan Cameron. I think it would be the first Duncan Cameron on, on the women's, on the women's side, or at least by someone in a Duke uniform. Um, so stay tuned. We'll, we'll see. That might happen as early as next year. I love it. I love it. And, and really quick, you know, what's the message to fans, uh, to get them to come out to, 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 to watch the, the Duke women's team play? You know, I think like. I'm one of those kind of like, hey, show me people, mm -hmm. you know, by nature, myself. And so um, 
I know that there's a great love affair um, between the Duke community and the sport of basketball. So that exists and it exists and it stretches all over the world. You know that uh, by being uh, being a, a part of that community and people uh, love basketball. And I, I think they're going to love our team. And I, I think it starts with, um, you know, people seeing how hard our players play, um, how, how much they play together um, and stylistically um, getting up and down and being disruptive, I think is going to be, um, something that pulls people out. So I would encourage people. I mean, of course, would I love you to come to game? Sure. But if you watch us on TV first, you know what I mean? And see, see if you like what you, what you see, see if it's something that you, that you like, but we, um, we're trending in a really good direction, um, in, in every area and to be at the start of year three, um, you know, we brought in the number nine recruiting class in the country last year. Um, we have our sights set on a higher number um, here in signing day in less than a week. And uh, I feel cautiously optimistic we'll be able to, uh, to achieve that. And um, we feel good about where, 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 uh, where we're headed. And we feel good about the young women that we're talking with uh, and the future of it. And so it does take time to build. Um, and the start of year three, I think this is a year that people are going to start to see some of some of the differences and in, in, in how we're going to play and what Duke women's basketball will be about moving forward. Well, Coach Lawson, we really appreciate you joining us here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We wish you so much luck. I, it, it really isn't luck, though. It's hard work. And I, I've heard that from you today. Congratulations on success so far. And we'll be watching and hope to talk to you soon. OK, thanks, Jason. Bye bye. All right, guys, that was a ton of fun. And you're right. Um, you guys said earlier on the podcast that that uh, you were jealous that I got to do it and that you all didn't get to participate. So uh, in honor of that, I will let you all react to it first. Donald, I'll come to you. What what was your feeling? What did you love the most about what I had to chat with Kara about? There's a couple of things that stood out. The first thing was uh, when Kara talked, Coach uh, Lawson talked about continuity and just roster continuity and just the, the being able to work with them on a daily basis. And she mentioned all of the, the struggles that they had to go through during, you know, the height of COVID where, you know, they couldn't practice all the time. They had to practice with masks on. They had to practice certain feet away. They could only do individual drills. So they couldn't get better as a team. And as these uh, restrictions, I guess, have started to, to come to a close, she's been able to do more with her team to generate that, that chemistry that every, you know, great team has. So I'm really, you know, excited about, getting to watch this team play and see what they can do. Uh, and uh, again, what is really the second full year of coach Carol Lawson at Duke university. But the other thing, Jason, obviously is uh, her speeches, right? Like she, it, she, she was a very calm demeanor person uh, when she was speaking with you, but we've seen her, you know, obviously with some great, great viral moments. And I was glad that you asked her about the, uh, some of the speeches that she has had and just kind of what goes into it. And, and not very much, not my surprise. Uh, she was like, Hey, I don't really feel plan these things. They just kind of come up. And, and that just, you know, speaks to the vision and the, you know, just the wisdom that she carries from all of these stops that you mentioned before before the interview, all these stops that she's had, all of these, you know, pivotal moments in her career, both as a player and as a broadcaster and as a coach uh, and, and as an assistant, like those 
all have kind of generated this, you know, I don't even know what to say, a machine where she can go and really instill that in her players and make it where, damn it, I want to play for her too, right? Like, I like I want to go back to school and I want to you know, have a coach like Coach Lawson that I can run through a brick wall for. And it seems like that these players, especially a lot of these players that she's been recruiting from the transfer portal, have all bought into that vision. And that will make for a very exciting and and hopefully a very dangerous Duke women's basketball team. And as she noted, Donald, they had one of the top recruiting classes in the country this year. I think she cited it being ranked ninth, depending on which service you're looking at. And she said, we're, we're not stopping there. We're, we're continuing to get, you know, to make the recruiting better. And I'm sure that this is part of the pitch. I think it was so astounding the way that she talked about, like, you know, the way that, that those viral moments have kind of touched people in, in different walks of life and different parts of the country and how she's hearing from all kinds of different people about it. I, I thought that it was, you know, it, it's sort of hard to be, um, it's hard to be humble about about that kind of stuff. But I thought it was amazing where she was like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not planning these sorts of things. It just kind of comes out of me. And there are, you know, Jason, you asked her about about getting to play for Pat Summit and some of the advice that that Pat Summit gave her and, and the way that Pat Summit dealt with her. Because I bet, you know, Pat Summit's got got top players coming in every year and, and she probably can't have the same conversation or couldn't have the same conversation with every player about the greatness within them. The same way that Coach K, and you referenced Coach K, the same way that Coach K has a different conversation with every player, right? Coach K didn't treat Christian Leitner and, and Shane Battier the same way. They're different guys. And so he had to push all the right buttons with, with different guys to make them tick. I get the impression from reading about Pat Summit and watching her on TV that she was very similar to that. And so Kara Lawson is now walking around with this enormous amount of wisdom that she can't even really put into words until the moment strikes her. You know, she's she's uh, she's the, the lead character from Soul, where she goes into the, um, you know, she, she gets into the flow and all of a sudden she's she's you know just just dripping with wisdom that is so cool to have around the program because you know when we look at the the men's team john shire seems like he's going to be a good coach for duke he's sort of displayed a lot of the you know he's checked a lot of the boxes so far i don't know that nuggets of wisdom are just appearing out of john shire's mouth at least not yet in his career carol lawson seems to be so like wise beyond her years and and such an asset to have at duke and she seems the other part of that that was so exciting is how she continues to be, you know, really bought into to being a Duke and how cool it is to be here. Duke is not does not have the the women's basketball status that University of Tennessee has that a number of other programs has. Duke is not in women's basketball what Duke is in men's basketball, but I feel like there's a chance that it, that it could become that with Carol Lawson at the helm. And I would say that they don't have the pedigree of those programs that you mentioned, like Tennessee or UConn, or even, you know, mostly more recently like Baylor or South Carolina, but they have in the past, Notre Dame, but they have in the past, right? There was a good stretch of the late nineties and early two thousands where Duke basketball was just as great as some of those programs. And they were getting to final fours. I mean, when I was in school, I went, there was two final fours in a row that they went to, they just missed out on the big one. Uh, And in 2006, as recently as 2006, they were in uh, the national title game. So there's an opportunity for Duke to be again, mentioned with some of those great programs on the women's side. And, you know, Carol Lawson kind of sees that and says, Hey, I want Duke to be mentioned. I want kids to be considering Duke 
over UConn and over South Carolina, which we've started to see on the recruiting trail. I think that's the vision that I'm that I'm most excited about. You know, Sam, I'm really glad that you mentioned Pat Summit because to me, the the moment in the interview with Kara, where I, with with Coach Kara, Coach Lawson, where I was like, "Wow, this is great stuff," it was when she was talking about the way. Pat Summit had sort of sculpted and molded her character and that Kara Lawson had come to Tennessee as someone who was shy, someone who was not very vocal, and that Pat Summit was like, look, to make you great, to make you all you can be, you are going to have to be more of a communicator. You're going to have to be more comfortable in your own shoes and in your own body. And so Pat Summit like forced her, <laughs> threw her out to the wolves and made her become a better communicator. And lo and behold, she turns into, uh, you know, a television commentator, one of the best, if not the best, um, uh, women's basketball, uh, female television commentators in, in the sport. And and then she becomes a, a head coach where communication and motivation and those things are such an essential part of it. It shows you that when these kids arrive in school, they are not fully formed. Um, the moment they step foot on campus, they learn, they grow, they mature, and coaching is as much about what you do with them on the floor as it is about what you do with them in terms of shaping their lives. And Kara Lawson clearly, look, we're lucky to have had Mike Krzyzewski. Kara Lawson had the Mike Krzyzewski of women's basketball in Pat Summit. And to that point, Jason, I loved when she was talking about how you asked her whether she like has a relationship with John Shire and how much they trade notes or anything. And she said that she sees him in the gym every morning. And, and so there, I, I would love, that was to great hear, stuff. I love I, that. I would love to hear some of the conversations that are going on because look there, it's not like Kara Lawson's a little older than John Shire is, but not, not so much, right. They're both young coaches. They're both young people relative to, you know, most of the coaches in their sport. And so they're both kind of figuring it out as they go here, despite, all of the institutional assistance they have and all the all the legacy sort of basketball knowledge that's swirling around in their heads. They're kind of figuring out these jobs at the same time. And so I would love to hear some of the the conversations that are going on between them about, oh, like this player came to me with this problem today. Like, do you do you know anything about that? Like, what what are they talking about? And they probably have similar views about like, look, there is a there is a generational gap here that like, you know, Lawson and Shire are probably on the same page. Lawson, I think, is a little older, but they're probably both like, look, there are some things that these 18-year-olds say that we just do not understand. And, <laughs> it would and be much as we much as we spend time with them and as much as we are supposed to be on TikTok or whatever, like just don't know if I could break through on on this particular topic. So I'd love to hear some of that stuff. That that's probably the the most interesting and entertaining uh, part of their of their note trading as co you know as as fellow head coaches of duke basketball you know there's always been like you know rumors of like coaches at different universities like especially if you a school that like has a preeminent coach that's like kind of larger than life so to speak and they kind of like yo go in this back room and like Nick Saban's back there and they're like, all right, let's chat. And they just have like a quick chat between coaches. I wonder if that's the exercise bike. I wonder if that's just like, they walk in and they're like, everybody out, like <laughs> everyone out of the Wilson gym. And it's I don't just think, anyone, two of I don't think anyone else is there. Yeah. It's like everyone else is in the gym. And they're, and they're just <laughs> well, like, it sounds like Chris Carowell's in there, which Chris Carowell right, strikes right. me as a, as a 4 a.m. workout guy. So oh, yeah, it, it'd be funny if they just kind of take a look at Chris and Chris goes, and I'm going to hit the weights. And he just, and he's, and, and look, Chris Carowell's <laughs> like the old head in there, right? He, I mean, yeah, he's one yeah. of the old, he's, other than Mike Schrage, he's the oldest guy on the Duke bench. Mm -hmm. So, and Chris Carowell's 
not that old either. He's about Carol Lawson's age. So uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty funny to think about. All right. Well, guys, this was great stuff. I want to thank Coach Carol Lawson, the Duke Sports Information Department, all those folks who helped arrange this for us. It was a really great treat for us to get to um, peek a little bit inside the the brain, the mind of the head coach of the Duke women's basketball team. Folks, we we urge you support, watch, pay attention to what's going on with Duke women's basketball. Um, it is a revenue sport. It is a big deal sport. And and they are getting better and better. And we look forward to talking about it more and more on this on this show. Right, guys? Yo, they have a game coming up. I mean, we we talk about the guys in the PK85 Classic. They have uh, they're in the PK85 as well, and they play UConn. That's going to be a monster game uh, around Thanksgiving holiday. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, but that's going to wrap it up here on this edition of the DBR podcast, the Duke Basketball Report. For Sam and Donald, I am Jason. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.